0: Hey, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 13 as well. Why don't you put your finger in Isaiah chapter 42, Joshua chapter 13, Isaiah chapter 42. I want to let you know the pastors just got back from just a one day retreat. We spent the night up at Big Bear. Um, we had a chance to pray together, um, actually had a believers meeting on our first night, uh, listening for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And uh, it was just such a tremendous time away. So I want to thank you for praying for your pastors uh, as we had the chance just to get away for literally less than 24 hours and be able to get away on the mountain with God. It was quite a fiery, wonderfully fiery experience as the fire of God fell on these incredible spiritual godly men. Um, So once again, Joshua chapter 13, Isaiah chapter 42, let's go to the Lord in in prayer to prepare our hearts for the word. Father, we are grateful for Joshua's book, his journal entry about all of the wars and fights it took to enter into the promised land. And Lord, we know that this promised land is not heaven because there was sin in Joshua's memories and journal. We know it's a story of the life as we as Christians live here on earth as we fight our battles, trusting you and looking forward to the peace that you'll have for us at the end of our days in heaven. And so while we are here, I pray that we would learn from this particular book how to live the life of promise that you have for us. So Lord I pray that you would grant us your peace and understanding as we dig into your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Joshua chapter 13. Now before I begin reading, the next several chapters of Joshua's book are going to read more like a real estate deed. Now these are the chapters that you usually just go, and by the time you know it, you're in Joshua 22. But we're going to take the time to maybe realize why the Holy Spirit gave us this real estate deed about this incredible promised land. Let's take a look, Joshua 13, verse one. Joshua's old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you're old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains, all the territory of the Philistines and all the Gesherites from Seor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron northward, which is counted as Canaanite, the five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkanon, the Gittites, and the Ekronites. I actually practiced and it still didn't come out. Also the Abites, and if you're uh, Spanish-speaking, the Abites. From the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Merah that belongs to the Sidonians as far as Afek to the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gebelites. That's a special disease that you can get in that particular area, and all Lebanon toward the sunrise. I'm um, going imagine going to the doctor, I've got the Gebelites. Um <laughs> From Baal Gad, below Mount Hermon, as far as the entrance to Hamath, all the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon, as far as the brook Mesfereth and all the Sidonians. Them I will drive out before the children of Israel. Only divide it by lot to Israel's inheritance as I've commanded you. Now therefore divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. <laughs> If you thought that was rough, you should have been publicly reading it like me. And it's easy to read through these things and this particular verse is thinking there can't be anything in this list for my life today. But we've got to stop for just a moment and challenge that thought because that's not the case. You see, we need to read this list in the context of which they wrote it. Let me help catch you up to speed. Children of Israel had been slaves in Egypt For over 400 years. They didn't own a thing. Nothing was theirs. Their life was not their own. Then they left Egypt and because of their sin, they had wandered in the wilderness for another 40 years. For generation upon generation, they've not owned a thing. A thing. Now... I remember when I bought my first house. I don't know if you can remember that moment, but I remember I read the deed several times, and I was overwhelmed that this particular latitude and longitude belonged to me. On God's great earth, there was a piece of land that I got to claim as my own, and believe it or not, I only paid $45,000 for my first house. Some of you gasp. When I moved from Florida to California and I looked at buying the condo that I moved in, I could have had four houses on the beach in Florida. $45,000 for my first house. I celebrated that real estate document. It was my first home. I was excited about it. I wrote everything down about that particular house. I still have a journal of the things that I wrote down about that particular house. I was so grateful to God that he allowed me. Now, I was a teacher... I was making about $26,000 a year working for the school board of Broward County. I had just got married, had a child, and we had two Liberians that we brought over from Liberia that we were putting through college. This, My wife and I have never been alone. And God provided a home for us. It was something to be celebrated. Now, this list... This list Joshua is writing is like a journal entry, like I wrote in my own. And it's a written list to celebrate the incredible goodness of God. It was like writing all of the activities of your first child in that baby book. Do you remember that? Do you remember you wrote down when they first went, Do you remember that? Do you remember when you put their little tooth that first came out and you put it in the book? Do you remember when you took the first little haircut, and you put it in the Ziploc bag, and then you taped it in the book? Do you remember when they first walked, and you, you took a picture of it, and then you wrote it down in the book? Now, I need to let you know, we made it to about the second book, but with nine children, the other seven have no idea what they did and when they did it, because after the second child, it's like, you don't care. It's like, you know, like, you know, I don't know, the pacifier, right? On the first child, like, it drops on the ground, you boil it, Right? By the ninth child, you don't care who has sucked it, even the dog. Just put it back in the mouth and let them be quiet. Amen. And maybe this is like Joshua's baby book. For the very first time, the children of Israel own land. But in this list, there's something more. You see, the Holy Spirit thought it wise for us to be able, for the age of the church, for the age of time, to have this list about the children of Israel. And within the course of these lists of this real estate deed, we're going to find tonight five incredible qualities about the, about the Lord our God. Five incredible attributes about the Lord our God. We're going to understand who he is. Now, here's what happens when you understand who God is. It allows us to be conformed into his image. So when the Bible says that God is long-suffering, our goal is to be long-suffering. When the Bible says that it was the kindness of God that led us to repentance, we are kind towards the world. We're not the moral police. We're moral agents of kindness, and that leads them to repentance. And so as we learn about God, our goal is to purpose to become like God. Well, the way that we're conformed into the image of Jesus Christ is when we're transformed by the renewing of our mind through the Word of God. Every word of the Word of God. We don't leave aspects of the Word of God out. I'm doing the um, uh, uh, chronological Bible, and I'm in the First Chronicles, chapters one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven are rough, and so so-and-so so-and-so, and so so-and-so begot so and so, and so and so begot so and so, and it's like, where did they find these names? Much less be able to say them. And I'm amazed as we go through this that even there in the course of that list, God's Holy Spirit thought it wise for us to know. Now, naturally, in our sinful state, well, we would never know how to be conformed. We would never have a desire to understand what God is trying to communicate in this list. We might even say, ah, we can just skip this particular chapter and move on. But his thoughts and his ways are so much higher than our own, and he knows why he put this in there. And supernaturally, here's what happens. We can learn about God in Joshua chapter 13, and we can ask the Spirit to give us the power to be like him. So let's do that. Go back with me to Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. Would you take a look at what God says to Joshua? Now, Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old, advanced in years. Stop there if you would. It's nothing like pointing out the obvious. (laughs) Joshua is about 100 years old, according to most theologians. You see, he dies at the age of 110. Now, that's a pretty good fighting career, you have fought for a hundred years of your life. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 29, we learn at 110 that he died. Now, can you imagine in Calvary Chapel, South Bay, if I walked up to you and I said, Oh, oh you are old? <laughs> can you imagine if I walked up to one of you and said, and some of you, Are looking at me, you better not walk up to me and say you are old. No, 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 no. We come up with a much more polite way at Calvary Chapel South Bay to say you are old. We say something like this You don't ever age. (laughs) You look great for your age. This is what we say. Now, what we're really saying is you are old. And the sad part is, we so want it to be true, we actually believe what the person said. We haven't aged at all. Look at us. All you have to do to be slapped into reality is look at last year's Christmas picture. That's it. You will see something has happened. Now it's funny. Old people are always allowed to joke amongst themselves about their age and their creaks and their cracks and all of the various things. But if a young person says, you are old, it's offensive. Now, they can talk about it all day long. In fact, at our pastor's retreat, you should have heard Pastor Dwight and Pastor Jeff. They were talking about things that I had no idea about. Did you know that there used to be a phone connected to the wall? Did you know that? And you used to have to go ring, 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 and then an operator would come on and go, what would you like to, t- who would you like to talk to? And they would, connect. they were talking about a hammer, a Vons framing hammer. And I asked, now, does it have an air compressor attached to it? Like, they were talking, and then Pastor Jeff, he got up like this, I was like, dude, that looks difficult. <laughs> And him and Pastor Dwight were just going on and on about what it means to get old and how things begin to change. Oh, you know, my grandmother, I used to tease her all the time. She would wave and her arm would wave with it. And I would always grab her arm and I'd go, look, you got a double wave. Now, some of you are going, I can't believe he said that. God has no problem to talk about the double wave. He looks at Joshua at 100 years old and says, you are old. But the truth about getting old, things begin to change. Amen? Amen? Only the young people said amen. You have no idea. You have no idea. You see, things begin to change. I noticed it around 40 years old. When I turned 40, um, when I sit down now, there's an ensemble that goes on in my body. It's like I hear things that I've never heard before. And then when I get up, I actually am making like an uh, like this noise that happens. And I don't mean for it to come out, but because it actually hurts. Pastor Jeff was talking. He goes, we were talking before we went to bed at the pastor retreat. And he said, um, I'm going to go to bed. Me and Dwight, will be up at 4 o'clock. And I go, why? We're old. We wake up at 4. <laughs> Now, I need to let you know I did ask Pastor Jeff for permission to talk about his elderly estate. (laughs) And the truth of the matter is this things are changing for Joshua. And Joshua knows it. And God points it out. But Joshua still has the gift of leadership. God hasn't taken the gift of leadership, he's actually refined the gift of leadership over a hundred years of him practicing and fanning the flame of this gift of leadership. Now, he's no longer leading the fight, he's no longer going to battle, but God is going to fan the flame of his gift of leadership and no longer is he going to be fighting, but he's going to be administrating. You see, God had provided a different way for him to use the very same gift because God's compassionate and he looked at his capacity at 100 years old. Joshua, you're old. I don't want you going into battle anymore. It's no longer a time for you to fight. Andrea's father was here for Easter. He's 84 years old. He looked at me and he goes, I don't get on a ladder anymore. And I said, Come on, Pape. And his wife, my incredible mother-in-law, looked looked at him and said, Oh, no, he does not get on a ladder anymore. Well, he's 80-some years old. And he probably shouldn't be going on a ladder. He should be directing me to go on a ladder to change the light so that he doesn't have to go up that ladder because his balance at over 80 years old is a little bit different than my balance at 50 years old is a little bit different than my son's balance at 17 years old. But what I love about the fact at Joshua at 100 years old, he's still asking him, God is still asking Joshua to take steps of faith. Take a look. You're old, he says, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. The land has not yet been conquered. And he wants Joshua to divide out this land. It's not conquered yet. There are still enemies in the land. But he's letting Joshua know it's going to happen, and it's your responsibility to go ahead and divide out the land, even though it's not yet conquered Because faith pleases God. No matter what season of life we're in, he wants to fan the flame of your gift, and it may look a little bit different than how you used to use it when you were 30 years old, but he will still be asking you to take steps of faith in the gift that he is giving you. But I also want you to see something else. God says something powerful. Would you take a look in verse 6? He says this in the latter portion of verse 6. Them I will drive out from before the children of Israel. Only divide it by lot to Israel's inheritance as I have commanded you. I want you to take a step of faith. And I want you to know I will drive them out. God will drive them out. And that's important. You see, God he is also challenging the younger generation to follow Joshua's good example to go fight these battles. He's 100 years old. He's been fighting battles for a very, very long time. And God says, listen, I'm going to drive them out, but I need to let you know he's going to drive them out the same way he drove them out with Joshua. You see, Joshua would go into the battle. Joshua would fight. And then God would give Joshua the victory. Joshua operated in the victory. All he had to do was go into the land and do what God told him to do and fight the battle. And that's exactly the example that he set for the younger generation. God was going to drive them out, but it would require the younger generation to look at the example of Joshua and go and fight and trust God to give the power to drive them out. This is the truth of our own lives. We have saints in our life like Pastor Jeff Gill in my life who have lived a godly example for close to 20 years of him mentoring me. And I've watched his life and I've watched him fight his battles. I've seen the battles that he's fought. I've seen Connie and I've watched them together be able to serve God faithfully. And now with a different portion of their lives, he's now saying, I've got a gift, and God's going to use that gift, and I'm going to take steps of faith, but now follow my example. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's now your turn, younger generation, to fight the battle. That's the truth of our lives. We go to battle. We look at the example of others that have thought well, and we choose to follow their example as they follow Christ, and we trust God for the victory. But I want you to understand something, and maybe you'll write it down. It's the very first attribute of God that we see. God always makes his proclamations with clarity. Joshua, you are old. There's no lack of clarity there. And the reason a lack of clarity will always lead to confusion And I need to let you know something about God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, the Bible says this, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God's not the author of confusion. That's why he speaks with such clarity. You never have to wonder what God is trying to get across. When he says, do not steal, he means it. When he says, do not lie, he means it. There is complete clarity with God. Because a lack of clarity is going to bring confusion. And the beautiful thing about God's word is found in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 130. Listen to what the psalmist wrote. The entrance of your word gives light. Not confusion. Light. Light. Completely clear light. It makes things crystal clear. It gives understanding to the simple. God is very clear in his word. The struggle that we have with it is not that he has been confusing or left us out in the dark. It's whether or not we agree with what he has said. God doesn't struggle calling something out. Like when he called Israel out in their rebellion and told them they were an adulterous generation. But he's also not afraid to encourage the children of Israel when he says in Isaiah chapter 43, I know you by name. But sometimes we lack clarity. Sometimes we bring confusion because we're not clear and we're not clear with God. Hey, gentlemen, do you remember that girlfriend you wanted to break up with, but you didn't want to tell her? Do you remember? Gentlemen, you're leaving me out here. Do you remember that girlfriend you wanted to break up with, but you didn't know how to tell her? So, God bless you. I knew I loved you. Someone who's faithful, Dennis, is sitting in the back. He's going, I have no idea what you're talking about. I love you, Pastor Dennis. So, you know what we did when we were teenagers? We didn't know what to say, so we said something mean. We thought, we'll just make her mad, and she'll just leave me. That's what I'm going to do. Or, you know, they text us a hundred times, and we ghost them. We just don't respond. Or we tell them, I'll meet you at McDonald's, and we don't show up. (laughs) Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Or we'll tell someone else. We'll leak it to someone who we know will eventually get through to her. Some of us are spiritual in the way that we do it. I had a guy, a, a girl come up to me and she was crying. And I go, what's wrong? And she goes, well, I think my boyfriend just broke up with me. And I go, well, what did he say? Well, he said he wanted me to be like Isaac and lay me on the altar of God and see if it would be sacrificed. I went up to the guy and I go, you're a loser. Why didn't you just tell the girl I don't want to date you, calling her Isaac? That's a little weird. See, It's why God is very clear. He doesn't want us to be confused or wondering. He wants us to know exactly what glorifies him and exactly what does not. You see, as humans, we take too much liberty in interpretation. If he was vague in his his communication, it would bring confusion to our faith. So he looks at Joshua and he says, look, you're old. And then he tells them the exact land that is left to conquer. And it's Joshua's job now to live by faith and divide out that land. Let me tell you why. God is very clear in his word of what needs to be defeated in our lives so that we can inherit all the benefits of Christ. He lets us know, do not lie, do not slander, do not gossip, because he knows that those things bring us away from Christ. They don't conform us into the image of Christ. It makes us look, well, when we slander, gossip, and lie, who does that look like? And God wants us to cast the enemy out of our lives. See, God knew if they didn't conquer the enemy, They'd be tempted to sin against the Lord. And we're going to read later on that there are some of the enemy that they didn't conquer, and it's that very enemy that tempted them to sin. You see, let God be true and every man a liar. God knew that if they didn't get rid of this enemy and conquer the land, that they would be tempted. It's the same with our own lives. That's why God has no problem to call out the works of the flesh so that we're very aware of what they are so that we can conquer them and have victory over them. So in Galatians chapter five, he says, let me tell you what the works of the flesh are. Adultery, fornication. I've always told my students, when you're in the back seat of the car and he puts his arm around you like this and you don't know what to do, but you sense something is about to happen, just look at him and say, are you trying to fornicate with me? (laughs) It'll end the moment in a heartbeat. (laughs) The very word itself will end the moment. Trust me. So when you sense something about to go wrong, just look at the person and say that thing. I guarantee they'll be like, Uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery or drugs, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries. He calls it out and he's not afraid to call it out and be clear about it because he knows if we conquer these enemies in our life, we will walk in being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something about God. He's very clear in his word. Secondly, I want you to look at something again, if you would. Go back with me to Joshua chapter 13. You are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. There remains very much land yet to be possessed. Number two, I want you to write it down. God always speaks to us with a providence to spiritually prosper our way. God always speaks to us providentially to spiritually prosper our way. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42. You'll begin to see what I'm communicating in just a moment. Isaiah chapter 42, would you look at verse 9? Isaiah 42 asks you to keep your finger there. Take a look at verse 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Flip your page over to Isaiah chapter 44, and would you look at verse 7 and 8? And who can proclaim as I do, God speaking? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come. Let them show these to them. Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. Let me tell you about God's providence. God knows the future. He knows all things. And He reveals His word to us before the future happens for a couple of reasons. The first is found in Isaiah. So that he is glorified. When revelation comes to pass, the church will sing the unprecedented song to God. You were right. Everything you said is right. Everything you communicated was absolutely clear. You alone deserve to be glorified. But there's another reason that God speaks providentially. It's Jeremiah chapter 29. You'll see it on the screen. You know this. It's on a plaque in your kitchen. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts I providentially think about you. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future. I know your future, and I'm going to give you hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You see, God, with his providence, he speaks into our life to prosper our way. Not only is it for him to be glorified, but it's to spiritually prosper our way. Can you imagine if God was not exactly clear on where the borders of the property of each of the tribes were. Do you have any idea the infighting that would happen about... They wouldn't be singing the song. Do you know the song? This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the redwood to the waters. This land was made for you and me, right? The Jews wouldn't sing that song. This land is my land, this land is my land, and I want that land. That was what was going on. There was infighting that was already going on. They were already showing signs of dissension and division. If God did not make it perfectly clear and speak to them of where exactly the land was they wouldn't have prospered. So God says there is land yet to be divided. Here is the land that is to be divided. And in the following chapters, he's going to express where exactly they should be. And in the same way, listen, church, God speaks into our life. God speaks into our lives before things come to pass. You see, you're here on a Thursday night. Maybe you're here or you're listening online. And you're studying the Word of God. Now, I need to let you know what you're actually doing. You are preparing for your tomorrow because God knows your tomorrow. So He is taking the word that He's giving you, just like He gave Joshua. And when we seek Him with our whole heart, He providentially reveals things to us that He knows that we're going to need in our future. Now, for us, maybe it's not divide the land, for us, it might be be kind, be forgiving. We don't know what lies ahead for us, but God does. And he's using the time that we spend in his word, like with Joshua and God, to speak to us. Now, here's what happens. We don't know what season of life we're about to enter, but God does. And if we find ourselves in the word of God, we'll be prepared for that season, just like Joshua was, to go and divide the land, because that was God's direction for him. I want you to see something else. It's going to be our number three. Would you go back with me to Joshua chapter 13? We're going to pick it up. Look at verse six, if you would. He says, Joshua chapter 13, he gives them a promise. Them I will drive out. Joshua 13, verse six. God makes a promise. Them I will drive out. Listen, number three, God reveals that he is a promise maker and he is a promise keeper. He's a promise maker and a promise keeper. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, God made a promise to Abraham. Your descendants are going to return and possess this land. It's the promised land. And then again in Numbers chapter 34, God promises Moses. And he gives the exact boundaries of the promised land that he is giving to the children of Israel. That's why we call it the promised land. Because God had promised Abraham the land. God had promised Moses the land. And God is a promise maker. And God is a promise keeper. In fact, all the promises of God in him are yes. And in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. What promise has he given you? What promise has he given you? Do you believe that he's a promise maker and a promise keeper? Now I need to explain something about this particular land. This land was occupied. There were people living in this land. And we've got to ask ourselves the question, God, why did you promise them this land where people are living? Genesis makes it very clear. He tells Abraham in Genesis 15, 16, you're going to return to this land when the sins of the Amorites are full. Well, God, what are you saying? What are you trying to communicate? Remember, they were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. They had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And now they've gone into the promised land probably about 20 years And they're fighting these battles. So we're talking 400 plus 40 plus maybe another 20. We're talking close to 500 years of God trying to get the attention of the peoples that were living in the land of Canaan. But they rejected God. But God's long-suffering heart, he waited for almost 500 years, but the people of Canaan rejected God, and they chose to worship idols. But God was trying to reach them. Let me give you an example. Do you remember Jonah? Do you know that God sent Jonah to the most wickedest world kingdom that ever existed? The Assyrians came up with crucifixion. The Assyrians were the ones that developed all forms of torture. The Assyrians were the most wicked kingdom that man had ever known, and God was still trying to reach them by the prophet Jonah. And do you know what Jonah was upset by? He was upset, not by the walk. He was upset because he was mad at the Assyrians for occupying Israel, and he didn't want them saved, but God did. And the Assyrians repented. And when Jonah went to Nineveh, they repented and they were saved from destruction for that season. God was trying to reach the people of Canaan for almost 500 years, but they rejected him. So now he's going to use the children of Israel to go into the land and bring judgment because of their sin. Now why is this land so special? Why is it the promised land? Let me tell you why. Here it is. Because God said it was. Period. What other reason do you need? God said that He would write His name in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem is the only place that the temple of God was to be built. There were promises specific in the law tied to the sabbatical years and the year of Jubilee that was only in the promised land, tied to the promised land. The priests of God could only receive their supply from the crops in the promised land. This land was flowing with milk and honey. There were natural deep springs, but one of the greatest reasons that I believe that it's the promised land is for one reason alone. Without rain, Israel dries up. Now you might think that's not a big deal. We live in California. We don't get a lot of rain. We're doing pretty good. Really? Not to the children of Israel. They were dependent on the former and the latter rains to eat. And God put them in a land where they would have to be dependent every year on God's grace And God's mercy, it's the promised land. God had promised this land, but he knew there would be a season of time before the promise would be fulfilled. You see, the problem with his promises and fulfilling his promises usually is not him. Oftentimes, we've got to be careful. If we're debating about some promise in our own life that God gave us, we could possibly be the delay. And God knows it. That's why he told Abraham, listen, your people are gonna be carried off, but they'll come back. I'm promising you, they'll have this land. Well, why were they carried off? Esau, Jacob's son, Isaac's son, I mean, he married two wicked women from the land. They drove, they drove the family crazy. So much so, they sent Jacob off to go marry from their family, which was what God had intended. Then Jacob has children, Simeon and Levi, and their their sister, well, she got raped by the king of Shechem's son. So Simeon and Levi came up with this plan that they were going to uh, tell all of the Shechemites that they needed to get circumcised. But their plan was on the third day to go in and kill all the men. And do you know what Jacob told his children? You've made us detestable in this land, the promised land, Reuben. Reuben, the son of Jacob, slept with his father's wife. Things were going real messy here for a little while. It's why Reuben lost the right to be the firstborn son and get a double portion, and Jacob gave it to Joseph, sons Manasseh and Ephraim. Something's going wrong with this family. If you want to see a dysfunctional family, read the book of Genesis. You'll feel much better about your own family. So you know what God did? God sent them to Egypt to purify them through trial. And let me tell you what happened in Egypt. Do you remember when Joseph's brothers come into the scene and Joseph holds a banquet for his brothers? The Bible makes sure that it details something for us that I want you to catch. Joseph sat at one table. The Egyptians sat at another table and Joseph's brothers sat at another table. As powerful as Joseph was, the Egyptians wouldn't even eat with a non-Egyptian. God sent them into Egypt because he knew the Egyptians would never marry into the Jews, and he made a purified Jewish nation. God knows what he's doing. God made a promise that it would be for the people of Israel. Not the people of the land, but the people of Israel. God made a promise. Now, maybe it, it's not the issue that you are sinning or you're delaying the promise of God. Maybe God is just taking time to prepare you to receive his promise. Nine years ago. Nine years ago. Sorry. Twelve years ago. A, friend of mine walked up to me at Calvary Chapel Fort Lauderdale and said Chet God is calling you out of here he's going to bring you revival I could have never have imagined leaving Calvary Chapel Fort Lauderdale fourth largest church in the world I was assistant pastor been there for 28 years never in my wildest dreams would I and when I looked at her and I said oh, God bless you you're great I love you And I do love her dearly. But it was something in my heart was like, I couldn't believe it. Eight years ago, I'm sitting with Pastor Jeff Gill upstairs in his office. And I told him a vision that I had been given. He had just come to Calvary Chapel, South Bay, and I was still in Florida. And I told him that God had given me two words. And the first word was rebuild. And the second word was revival. Revival. And those were the two words that God gave me coming to California. Well, I came to California. I was here. I was at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. I was here at Calvary Chapel South Bay. And then I became the senior pastor of a church called Coast Hills Church. And it was there that I began to see the promise that God gave me to rebuild that church. But what I didn't know, and now I see, that God was using that 12 and eight years to make me into the man that He wanted me to be because He still has a promise for me. He's going to give me revival. And what I didn't realize, what I didn't realize in coming to California, that the two words were two different churches. For one church, it was rebuild, and for this church, it's revival. Amen. It's revival. And I'm going to hold on to my promise because God is a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. Amen. I want you to see this. Look with me to Joshua chapter 13, verse 8. Joshua 13:8. When the other half when the other half-tribe, the Reubenites and the Gadites, underline this, received their inheritance, which Moses has given them, beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses the servant of the Lord had given them, from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the town that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain of Mediba as far as Debon, all the cities of the Sihon king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the border of the children of Ammon. Gilead and the border of Geshrites. Now, read this like, wow, look what God did for us. And the Machatholites, all Mount Hermon and all the Bashan as far as Salca, all the kingdom of Og and Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth and Edra, who remained of the remnant of the giants. They even defeated giants, he's writing. For Moses has defeated and cast out these. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Machalites, but the Geshurites and the Machalites dwell among the Israelites until this day. Only to the tribe of Levi had he given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance as he said to them. Now, we're going to have a two-part series and talk about the Levites next week. But if you could, for just a moment, listen to what's happening. God has just told Joshua, you're old. But you still need to divide the land, and there's enemies in the land, so you need to divide it by faith. So what Joshua did for the children of Israel, Joshua now reports how God was faithful to Moses to give the land to the two and a half tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. Because number three, I want you to write it down. Excuse me, number four. God always makes a provision of encouragement to help us on our way to be obedient to the word. He always encourages us to help us on our way. I did a marathon in the Bahamas, and I'll never forget. I'm in my last two miles. I thought I was going to die. Honestly, I thought I was going to die. The last two miles are the worst, and it wasn't even a full marathon. I did the half Okay. And the guy who ran the marathon that won the marathon, he lapped me and won and beat me before I finished my half marathon. Okay. Last two miles I am running. I'm like doing everything I can just to keep going. I thought I'm going to die. This old Bahamian woman is sitting down on the sidewalk and I'm running. I'm like, God, I'm not going to make it. And right when I say that this Bahamian woman, she looks up at me and she stands up and she goes, come on, boy, keep running. You got to make it home. And I thought to myself, Lord, I never thought you would be in a Bahamian woman. He always provides encouragement when you need it. And sometimes like Joshua, we got to look backward to look forward. And in our prayer life, we look backward and we see with gratitude and thankfulness all that God has done for us and been faithful to his promise. This is what Joshua's doing. In fact, it's the reason I wrote my book. God had given me a promise in Joshua chapter one, verse nine. Look at that, go back and see this promise that God gave me. Joshua chapter one, verse nine. You know it, Joshua one, verse nine. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The reason I wrote Living Parable was to report that God was faithful to his word. And as you read each and every chapter, you see how God was pushing me along in my discouragement with some bit of encouragement. That's exactly what Joshua is doing. He's encouraging the children of Israel with a record of how God was faithful to Moses. And that's what the rest of the chapter reveals. The rest of the chapter reveals that he was not just faithful in the land of the east, but he's faithful to the land of Reuben. Take a look, and Moses had given, verse 15, had given to the tribe of the children of Reuben an inheritance according to their families. The territory was from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the city that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain by the Medeba, Heshbon, and all its cities that are in the plain Debon, Bamoth, Baal, Bethbaal, Maon, Jahazah, Kedamoth, Methbah, Kirjah, Gibeh, verse 21 all the cities of the plain and all the kingdom of Sion, king of Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, whom Moses had struck with the princes of Midian, Evi, Recham, Zur, Hur, and Reba, who were princes of Sion, dwelling in the country. You've got to hear the battle hymn of the Republic. Joshua is writing, look what God already did. And then look what he writes. The children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer among those who were killed by them Now, just hold on for just a moment. You've got to see that in this chapter, Joshua is singing the battle hymn of the republic. Look what God has done. And he did it before. He'll do it for you. And you've got to look backwards to look forward. Would you jump ahead to Joshua chapter 14 for just a moment? Because he sums up this truth. And I want you to see what he encourages them with. These things are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer, the priest, Joshua, the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half-tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of the Jordan. But to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. There's the double portion. And they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the lands. See what God does after the battle hymn of the republic. Dun, 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 dun. He killed this king. He got this one. He did this. And now in chapter 14, he explains how they cast lots. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, the lot is cast, but every decision is from the Lord. Every decision is from the Lord. And most Jewish theologians, what they say is that they would pick out of one jar their tribe. And then they would, out of the next, pick a lot. And whatever tribe got picked, and whatever lot it was, that lot was for you. And this was a method in the Old Testament by which you could know the direction of God. They didn't have the written word. They were writing it. And so God gave them a method of lots that they would be able to determine which way to go, and what to do, and what to say, and how to do it. Now, we have the Holy Spirit today, and we have the Word of God today. So we can go to the word and understand the word. But back then, they had these lots. And what they were doing when they were casting the lots, because every decision was from the Lord, they were choosing to trust the Lord. And that's the encouragement that God was giving them trust me, just trust me. But secondly, I want you to see something they did what Moses commanded them. Not only were they trusting the Lord, they were choosing to be obedient. Obedience. same choice is available for you. These two truths are very important. You need to be encouraged with these truths. If you want to trust in the promises of God for your life, there's a choice to be obedient over time and watch as he prepares you to receive the promise. But as well, if you want to be living in the promises of God, you've got to trust him. Now, you can go that way. And you can see all the promises of God fulfilled in your life, but there's another road that you can go on. And this other road, I promise you, a road that doesn't trust God, a road that is not obedient to his word, it leads to destruction, just like Balaam. Go back with me. to Here's where we close. Joshua 13, verse 22. I want you to see this. The children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, among those who were killed by them. In our list, I don't don't want you to miss this at all. And I know there's a lot of (laughs) names, but Joshua's making a really clear point here by the Holy Spirit that we need to stop for just a moment in this list of names. Because in this, this verse reveals, and it's our final point, that God makes a prohibition Of ungodliness. Let me explain. Balaam, he was a prophet of God living in Moab. He knew God's voice, he spoke God's messages, but he did not have God's heart. And it's a really sad story. It goes all the way back to Numbers 22. The king of Moab saw the children of Israel, and he is afraid. He has heard what the children of Israel have done to the king of Og and the king of Sion. And he's going, wait a second, we got to get these people out of here. They're going to eat all my crops. They're going to take all my cattle. I've got to do something. Go get Balaam. Because I know Balaam. He speaks to God. And whatever he curses cur- gets cursed. And whatever he blesses gets blessed. So he says to Balaam, look, come, I'll give you any amount of money. And would you curse these people? So he goes to God and God says, don't you curse them. Balaam sends another, uh, Balak sends another message to Balaam and says, listen, come on, what do you want? I, I, what do you want? I, just would you go back to God one more time? Balaam says, I'm only gonna say what God says. And he decides to, he goes in on a, his donkey to the king of Balak to be able to see, okay, you're gonna give me $100 or $100,000. Let's see how we go here. On his way, he meets an angel of death. He doesn't see him, but his donkey does. Now, I told you the story a couple weeks ago. And the donkey stops him from being killed as Balaam has beat the donkey. And the donkey turns around and says, what are you beating me for? Now, I told you before, the thing that surprises me is that Balaam talked back to the donkey. (laughs) And none of the cursings worked. So you know what Balaam did? He wanted the money. He wanted it. So he gave advice to the king of Moab. Listen, I can't curse them, but God will curse them if you do this. Send in your pretty Moabite women. Let the children of Israel, you know, be, let the men of Israel be with the women. And let them seduce them. And when they're seducing them, tell them to worship Baal. And they'll do anything for your beautiful Moabite women. And then God will be mad at them, and God will deal with them. Balaam, you nasty little man, you and we don't hear any more about Balaam. He lives happily ever after with the Midianites until God makes it known you can't get away with ungodliness. And Balaam was killed by the sword as he lived in his compromise there with the Midianites. see... You choose to allow sin to reside in your hearts. I need to let you know something. The enemy has three goals for your life. He's got three goals, that's it kill, steal, and destroy. That's all he's got. So God knows this about the enemy. He knows what he's trying to do with the sin in your life. So you know what God does? He calls it out Stop stealing, stop gossiping. And he's not afraid. God is not afraid to be canceled. He will communicate with absolute, complete clarity because he doesn't want any confusion because he's trying to protect you from the enemy. He will providentially speak into your life. He will give you the word of God because he knows your future and he knows what you need and that's why you're here to study his word. He'll give us promises to hold on to. So we can be sure, no matter what happens, God will be a promise maker and a promise keeper. And when we're discouraged, he will provide an overflow of provisions of encouragement so that we trust him more and we're obedient to his word. It's what he does for us. This is not just a list. God is displaying who he is so that we can conquer the enemy in our life would you pray with me father i'm so thankful for you and your word and i pray now that as we take the time to pray that you would speak to our hearts and be glorified in this moment as we reflect on your word Some of you, God has been very clear. Very clear. Telling you what you should be doing. And you're refusing. Some of us, God's given us a promise and we're wondering, why in the world have I not seen the fulfillment of this promise? Now, he may be preparing you. But just like the children of Israel... You could be delaying your promise because of sin in your own life. One thing I know about the Holy Spirit, he's clear to protect you. He wants you to change because he doesn't want the enemy to kill, steal, and destroy. So tonight he's speaking the word into your life providence, because he knows exactly what you needed tonight. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You know God's been clear with you. You know God wants this to change in you. And you need to just surrender to that's you tonight, would you just slip up your hand? We want to pray for you. Just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Yeah. Amen. Your hand up is an act of surrender. I see you. Would you just leave your hands up as we pray, Father, for everyone that chose with humility to raise their hand and say, You got me are so clear. Your Holy Spirit is so speaking to me. I pray now that whatever it is that you have communicated to them, (coughs) that you would purify them as they repent and confess to We can trust in your promise. You give us a promise. You're a promise maker and a promise keeper that if we confess our sin, you will be faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we know you're a promise maker and a promise keeper. So tonight, let us go home and write in our journal. Just like Joshua wrote in his, we have conquered trust you to be faithful and give us the power to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.